powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. We brought Mark Dumas in right away because, you know, why not? We're here. We're having fun. We're trying something new today because, mm. frankly, YouTube hasn't been treating us very well with the live videos. So we're going to try straight to recording and uploading as a video. We, we do miss the chat. We will miss the chat during the broadcast because I love interacting with you all. We've got some questions. It's my favorite part. Yeah, it is. It's like, super like. fun to interact with the Habs fans. But uh, we've got some questions from Twitter that we'll go through at the end of the show. Exactly. You know, we just watched this relatively boring, to be frank, uh, Montreal Canadiens game between the Habs and the Rangers. We've got some positives to talk about. We also had yeah. our eyes on the World Junior Championship gold medal game where Canada took Joshua home Joshua Wah setting up a gold medal That's clinching right. goal. Oh my gosh. Joshua Wah. What a tournament we're, for him, eh? Did we just talk about Joshua Hua for the next hour? Like, is that... Well, we're going to talk about him for sure. We're going to talk about him at the end of the show, along with Owen ah. Beck, Lane Hudson, some other guys as well. Oh, uh, you're putting the milk at the back of the grocery store, that's eh? That's yeah, right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. you got to stick right. around to get to the fun stuff. First, we're going to grill you with the painstaking Montreal Canadiens pro club and how awful they are to watch. But you know what? Frankly, there, there's good stuff to talk about tonight, yeah. as I alluded to. Uh, so before we get into it, we got to tell you, you think you know the way it's going to go? Make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's hockey, football, or basketball, Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to play, deposit, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. All right, Mark. I don't know how you felt about tonight's game. It was a struggle for me the whole time with the gold medal game on my phone and the Habs game on my TV to stop from looking at my phone because, frankly, it was it was not a barn burner, to be honest. But I did think that this is the best game that the Canadians have played in quite a long time. Yeah, and, and the bar is super low, but in my opinion, and we're going to get into this, a lot of the stuff that Martin said, if anyone has a chance, go back to what Martin Saint-Louis said before the game. He held about a 20-minute presser, which is kind of rare for him. He, Martin Saint-Louis, like like many of us, don't, don't like hearing people like me and Andrew ask questions, and he's not a big fan of spending too much time, but I think he made a point today to talk about a few issues, and I feel like the Habs actually listened to him. Yeah, I mean, he talked about uh, he wasn't impressed with anyone lately, which I, I would say that I've still been impressed with Cole Caulfield. I think he's like the one standout lately. But, and and doing Jack it without I, Suzuki feeding him, which is that's right. always, you know. Because yeah. Suzuki hasn't been great, frankly. And I'm, I don't mm-hmm. want to trash Suzuki. I've seen some Suzuki haters on uh, Habs Twitter, which I think is completely unnecessary. Uh, we all knew yeah. that his production early on this season was unsustainable. Was it, now was he's it getting Habs hit with the refreshment. Was it has fans at 416toronto.com or what's the possible? (laughs) Possible, but uh, frankly, uh, Martin St. Louis was correct in in saying he wasn't impressed with everyone, with everyone, with the sorry, with anyone, and he included himself in that. And that's really refreshing to me because coaches usually do not do that. No, so and and I feel like there's been it's weird because when when St. Louis made a few unforced errors, for example, not using Baron on the power play, like what's the point? Why are you bringing him up? Or, you know, um, Armia top line, which, hey, I mean, long term, that actually might have paid off. So we'll talk about that as well. But whenever I mentioned a few unforced errors, it wasn't as if I'm saying Martin Saint-Louis needs to be fired or anything. But I was getting emails left and right from people saying, OK, it's a little ridiculous that you're criticizing him. 
hey, hey like he's in a learning process as well, right? So yep. um, I think it would be intellectually dishonest between your unforced errors. So, but at this point, what I love seeing is that he admits that he's been making mistakes, that he's learning too. So it's a learning process for everyone. Yeah, and and we talked about like how he's stuck with veteran players to try to get them yeah. going. Like early in the season, it was super frustrating watching. Mike Hoffman just be completely useless out there. And he kept on getting opportunities, kept on getting on the first wave of the power play, kept on playing mm -hmm. with the top end players. And eventually he broke out. And now for the yep. last like 15, maybe even more games, Mike Hoffman's been a player for the Montreal Canadiens. He's not a liability yep. defensively. He still has his one to two horrendous passes per game, but he actually had a fantastic pass in the last game to Brendan Gallagher, which apparently yep. he was injured and managed to score maybe that's the secret to gallagher he Poor has to gallagher. be injured to score Jeez. i know i don't know if we'll... but, but okay so all that saying let's talk another, about another unforced, unforced error, error right is scratch should Hoffman. have been in the lineup he should have he really should have 100 let's be perfectly honest is it for a team with that has a, a very i was gonna say that has literally or virtually no offense or no secondary tertiary offense mike yes. hoffman is one of the rare people that produces he has great underlying numbers he he, he looks a little bit I'm gonna soccer fans might get this, but he looks like Mesut Ozil out there in the in the in, in the midfield because this is a guy, Mesut Ozil, that kind of relied on his skill and anticipation rather than just going crazy and, and you know and, and, and effort wise. Hoffman kind of does that as well in the sense that he's usually where he has to be at the right time in the right place. So he's not chasing the puck like let's say an Andrew Shaw, who people would say is working hard, but Hoffman's putting up better numbers, you know. So I understand perception comes into play with Mike Hoffman and there's a long history. But I would say he's like, you know, after Doc and Monaghan, he, he's been the, well, and, you know, the top two, he's, he's been the Habs best forward. So like he's in the top five right now for the Habs. Yeah, he, he's been really strong. And I know it's, it's very easy to get caught in the cycle of everyone hating on one player. And then you see right. all the mistakes in their game. You're watching them more and looking for stuff to get mad about. Mm -hmm. And I know that happens to people with UL Armia as well. And you know, we talk about unforced errors and trusting vets and continuing to try to give them opportunities to succeed. Armia and Dodonov got that opportunity again tonight. Yeah. And they, with Jake Evans, were the best line on the team. Armia finally scored. Mm -hmm. So, like, I that doesn't First mean, goal since. Do you remember his last goal? It was in the last couple games of the season last year. It was um, April 3rd or 5th. Yeah. Yeah. That's a while. Yeah, like it took him almost as long as it would take the GOP to nominate a house speaker. Like, yeah, it was pretty, um, like pretty, very top, pretty long time. <laughs> I really took, I really got into that one there. It was like, it was a long, long journey, but uh, yeah, I love seeing that too from, from Sainui because as much as I've criticized him for some of his usages, uh, his, his usage this season, a lot of it should have gone better, right? Statistically speaking, like for Dadnov, and um, Dadnov hasn't been as bad as his numbers or as his, his scoreline indicates. Armia, I don't know if the efforts, or the effort's been there, but I just don't know what's going on with his decision-making, but there's no way he should only be at one goal by now too, right? So yeah. there is value there in reinforcing uh, that uh, you're not going to leave these veterans behind because, like, I mean, the Habs have so many veteran players they want to move, and those guys will talk to other players. So you don't want to be known as a team that trades for bad contracts, then lets your career die. 
Yeah. So, you know, as you said earlier, Martin Sanou is in a tough spot because I think he's getting a lot of direction from up top for where they want to see some guys displayed. You know, when Josh Anderson goes to the top line, I don't think it's necessarily due to good underlying numbers. It's it's, it's to pump up some value there. So I feel like Martin Sanou had a very difficult task this year and he's admitted it. it's frustrating. Players are annoyed, but um, hey, man, that, that's what happens when, you, when you're in the midst of a rebuild and, and you can't complain one way or another. But at the same time, I do feel like St. Louis is getting a little frustrated by his excess of, of forwards, guys like the, the Dadnovs of the world. Yeah, and, th- and that makes sense, right? Like, they're so loaded with players that they don't want for, for the next few years, right? And it, it's going to be tough to to move some of these bodies out and start getting the younger players in. And you look at the defense, and it's either a bunch of veterans that you don't really want to see play or, like, five rookies at once, and then there's <laughs> struggles that come from that. You know... It, it, it's between a rock and a hard place, but I have to say like the people who have turned on Marty St. Louis in such a short time, I think this period of time right now where the Canadians have been until this game, really like truly bad, which it was only a stretch of like four games, but like truly mm-hmm. unwatchable. Right. Yeah. From Christmas to basically the last game. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Just step off all step. Off absolutely off. brutal. But at the same time, like you want to, tank yes but you mm-hmm. don't want to be horrendously bad of course you want to be competitive every game but like there's 82 games in a season if you're going to build a team that is going to, to tank even if they don't want to tank like the, the players themselves never want to tank there's going to be stretches that feel mm-hmm. like that that are hopeless right like oh, i yeah. think the difference between what's happened here where people are like wow it feels like ducharme and I, i've said the same thing is that that Ducharme situation lasted like 40 games. Oh, yeah. Like, do you remember at one point it was even... Ducharme almost made a liar out of Jeff Gordon because when Jeff Gordon came in, he said, I'm not going to... No, no, he'll be here. Or, or was that when Ken Hughes came in? Either way, they're like, no, no, they said they weren't looking gums. to replace the coach, right? Yeah, exactly. And then it got to a point where I think it was actually more of a mercy kill. Like, any farmers yeah. out there, you'll understand what I'm talking about. It was more of a, okay, like... This has gotten to the point that it's so bad that it might impact these players long term. We're not even close to that this year. Not even remotely no. close. No. I think the effort, at least, is there. And going back to what Sainui criticized. So first he said, um, I need to be better. I think he does. And that's that's the other part. Like I think we're allowed to talk about some of his unforced errors, but we're not going to turn on him. Like, it's way too early for that, you know, all in good time. But also one thing he pointed out was, was how horrendous the starts have been for the Montreal Canadiens. Yes. And I think tonight, again, the bar is so low that, that you know, it, it, it's, it'd be disqualified in limbo. But I, I think that tonight was probably their best start in almost a month. Uh, I, they held a high danger scoring chance advantage, and it's so important to look at that stat because the Habs right now control about 41% of the high danger uh, chances during the year. That's actually much worse than last year. So to see an increase there, that is a very, very good good sign for the Montreal Canadiens and that they're, they're listening. Like they, they, I felt like tonight they tried. They just didn't have the talent. Whereas the last five or six games, it was no on that say we didn't try and we didn't have the talent like potential dans la poubelle so tonight was encouraging because you saw the effort and uh, obviously the UL Armia goal. I wonder how much you could have made on betting on UL Armia scoring tonight I think last time I looked because I I looked when he could have scored his 69th goal in his 420th game and it was <laughs> I believe it was like five to one or something 
So oh, okay. if you bet a hundred bucks, you'd get back six hundred bucks, like your original hundred that you bet, and then so if you bet sixty nine dollars, you would get back three hundred. <laughs> Don't make okay. me do complicated math. <laughs> three hundred and seventy nine. Okay, <laughs> but anyways, I mean, I just I I, I know there's going to be highs and lows, and and I think when you look at what Saint Louis done this year, I mean, five rookies on defense. Andrew is when's the last time that happened I think it was 1917 when the Maroons played like the Wanderers for the first game in the history of the NHL <laughs> yeah it's pretty unprecedented right and as you mentioned the scoring chance advantage in the first period they had the high danger scoring chance advantage each period actually they were 50 50 in, in uh, the third period but they were either 50 mm-hmm. 50 or better in scoring chances overall all three periods you know, uh, held the advantage. That's unheard of for the Habs. Like, no, literally, I know, we like, have not heard it yet this year. Yeah. And listen, the Rangers aren't amazing, but they're on a heater right now. Canadians uh, mm-hmm. held the advantage in expected goals, four percentage at even strength. All situations, These, this not was a so good much. Loss. But, yeah. Yeah. Right. This is a, a loss mean, that they can build on based on what Marty St. Louis said before the game. I think there's lots mm-hmm. of positives to take from it. The, mm-hmm. what I think would win against them tonight more than anything, obviously, uh, Scoring not working for them, but uh, Jake Allen was outscored by their opponents. Andrew was yeah that that, yeah getting outscored that that led to the loss. But I thought Jake Allen was kind of soft on all three goals, not to like hang him out to dry or anything because I think he made saves on shots that were more dangerous than all three goals. The classic Marc Andre Fleury there, yeah, yeah, (laughs) making great saves and allowing a few bananas. Yeah, exactly. And like again, like I think maybe only the second one could be classified as like a banana, but at the same time, it's just. If you're a good goaltender, you kind of expect to stop all three of those shots. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I think also one thing that we have to look at is Jake Allen and Samuel Montembeau, uh, if not for them, the Habs would have been at this point, like this this terrible point from the start of the year, right? Oh, so yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree yeah. what you're saying, but I feel like those two, for what they're paid, what they're paid and what's expected from them, I kind of feel like being like, hey, your watch is over. Like, you know, like that'll do big. That'll do because I feel like they've played three seasons worth of hockey in in the first 40 games of the season. So I I think all in all, if you can keep having games like this, Andrew, where where Allen maybe allows a couple questionable goals, but you, you know, you put up a goal yourself, you don't allow nine goals against, that's what you want to see going forward. Because as we saw in the Canada game, there's a lot of talent coming up at the next draft. And the more they lose, like the Habs right now combined with Florida, who, by the way, Florida is going to start winning. Like it's, they're not going to finish bottom ten. That's you underestimate Paul Maurice. Okay, yes, there is the Paul Maurice <laughs> factor, but like statistically speaking, they, they it's not even close. Like they shouldn't be there. But mm-hmm. combined with the, the Florida stats, the Habs are sneaking in at fourth right now for the best odds. I know that's not how the odds work. Each pick has its own odds, but um, rough and you know rough and tumble. You can see right now the Habs have the fourth best odds of drafting first overall, and the more they lose, the better it is because. I don't know if you saw the underlying numbers last month, Andrew, other than Anaheim, who I think they won a couple games, but Anaheim's been putting together just the, the most trash pile of underlying numbers, but the Habs finished at 38% high danger chances, about 32% expected goals. Like it was really bad in December. So if that trend can continue, I mean, the Habs are, are, are looking at a legitimate chance to draft Connor Bedal or Mishkov or, or Fantelli, you know, so that, that man, that would make, imagine one of those guys, in the lineup that would be such a game changer for the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, it's a foundational change for the franchise, right? Like, and even if it's not Bedard, like I'm talking, you know, when you're looking at the, that top five is, whew, whew, it's a, you know, it's a type of thing that you, you dream about. So every single loss for the Montreal Canadiens, short-term pain, long-term gain. A hundred percent. And the fact is they're going to get 
at least one fantastic player yeah. in this upcoming draft. And the Florida pick, if they can just miss the playoffs, and like frankly, they're probably going to miss the playoffs. Oh, oh, they have so much. Yeah, yeah. I, like, okay, sorry. I, I don't know if I, I, I explained it right earlier. But no, no, no. You said they're Florida's not be better than 10. where they are. Yeah, you yeah, said they're but, not going to be bottom 10. Like they, but they're not going to... It's too far for them to make it in the playoffs, I think. I was looking yeah. at it yesterday. I'm like, geez, you know, it's it's such a grind to get points in, in the playoffs. Uh, uh, sorry, at this point in the season. So, yeah. The, and also, what about the pick they're going to get for... I was going to say Joel, but uh, Joel Edmondson. Because yeah. you know they're going to get another good... I think it, maybe I it was, Sean Monaghan, who's back was it at Dreyer practice. Or Lebrun. Like, this isn't just... You know, random talk. I mean, the, the the top analysts are saying it was Chris Johnson actually um, that was saying it'll probably be a first round pick for Joel Edmondson. Then you have Sean Monahan, maybe even Josh Anderson. So I don't know if those if teams will actually give up their twenty twenty threes anymore. Yeah, it might but, be twenty twenty four, and that's fine too because you do want to stagger your draft picks, right? So hundred um, percent. And if you can convince someone to give you give away a first round pick and you have to delay a year. That's actually decent for the Canadians' rebuild right now. It kind of fits in those age groups. So, so 100%. yeah. I, I mean, the pain right now is going to be. As someone told me this when we started this year, I'm like, hey, like, relax. It's going to be a fun year in the sense that there's no expectations. Then expectations got high, and someone said, well, it's a development year. I said, exactly. He's like, then they said, it's a development. It's the development of pain this year. <laughs> so that's what it is for Montreal Canadiens fans. You develop that pain and eventually it will be uh, long-term gains. Cause as we're seeing, like I was actually texting with um, Owen Beck's parents during, during the hockey game. Cause during, during the halves game, cause I just wanted to get their impression. And um, they were saying like Connor Bedard at 17 is, is, is not just displaying the type of skill that's unheard of. It's that maturity. Like he's already got that Crosby-esque, mm-hmm. Captain, you know, today after they said it's not about he's like it's not about me, and they were even mentioning Beck's parents. We thought he'd be a little greedier because you know he's by far the best player in the world. No, 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 no. This guy was playing as such a team player, um, and, and I know a lot of fans are saying Fantelli didn't have a good, but I mean the guy wasn't playing a ton, right? He was essentially getting fourth fourth line assignments. So I don't judge too much based on the World Junior Championship just because well, usage comes into play. And the other thing is you got to remember like Fantilli's playing as a 17 year old, right? Like yeah. this is a tournament that is for 19 year olds and the gap in, mm-hmm. in terms of physical maturity in those two oh, years God. is astonishing for, for like go back to what athletes. is that? That's like ninth grade to like third. Oh, sorry. You guys didn't have 13th grade in Quebec. Eh? Um, so it was well, OAC, I, was, but that's a I huge... grew up out West, but yeah, we had grade oh. 12, uh, okay. Quebec ends at grade 11. Then they go to Sejep, which I think is okay. Well, system. imagine, imagine you in 12th grade compared to, you know, a kid in, in ninth or 10th grade, essentially yeah. that's the difference, you know? Uh, oh God. Yeah, absolutely. And just it's the fact totally that different. Beck made it as an 18 year old, I was genuinely surprised because this no pedigree. He doesn't have that hockey Canada legacy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and but just that intelligence level at 18 to make it, I, I actually was surprised they called him up over kidney, but um, and he didn't play a lot. But what a what a feather in the cap of Owen Beck! What a year he's had from being criticized to being not, you know, falling out of the first round, getting all these interviews with Toronto, finally landing in Montreal, getting an ELC, going back to the junior, exploding goal scoring wise, and then then finally Team Canada. He said this that's what he wanted this year is that he really wanted to uh, it'd be a dream come true. So. That was his uh, dream come true. Anyways, all that to say, the tournament's not meant for 17 and 18-year-olds. No, so and that's pretty what impressive. makes yeah. Bedard's performance oh, so God. impressive, right? Like, people are comparing him to, like, 
Peter Forsberg's record setting. Okay, but it wasn't but, as good as Peter Forsberg. I'm going to say this right now. Well, hey, hold the, on, hold on. Yeah. Peter Forsberg did. Uh, I am the biggest Peter Forsberg stan alive. You are a he, huge, yeah. You probably yeah. have a Marek Zvatos shirt somewhere there because they played together <laughs> at one point. Like, yeah. But, like, he did put up 10 points against Japan, right? And I'm pretty sure he was 19. I, was I think Connor, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, well, Connor Bedard's tournament was he though? Because didn't wasn't there something about Forsberg staying? Oh no, I'm thinking about Matt Sundin now. I'm just mixing up my Swedes. Because um, Forsberg didn't play in the NHL until he was 20, I believe. So he would have yeah. been at the the World Juniors. Like he played in 94, 95, and he was born in 93. So he's 21. 21 when he played started in the NHL. So he would have okay, played in the World, World Juniors. Juniors. I'm like, yeah, okay. So it just goes to put that the difference in the, the physical, like there's physiological differences here. So, and even it's unfortunate that we didn't get to watch some of the other top prospects at the tournament. But even if the Habs miss out on the top three, which is likely, um, you're still getting some high-end talent there that that, that you should. All gonna, I'm going to say this, and it might be a hot take. I think the top five this year would have, they would have all gone first last year. Actually, maybe oh, even yeah. like the top seven. Uh, yeah so yeah the difference in, in, in and i don't think it's necessarily that last year was so weak i think it's just that this year is man this has the potential to be an all-timer so if the Habs can continue to lose good which is which is how i i want to describe tonight's game because the effort was there the start was better um they didn't give up as they have in the last five six games so if you can keep that up you know you might be able you're not, never going to catch chicago because they're just man, that is one they're awful terrible. hockey team. But, <laughs> but you know, back to back top five picks. Hey man, that that's what changes a franchise. Now you got to hit on them. You have to hit on you them. Do. But there's always some pretty decent players available at five. Um, wasn't Kale McCarr the fifth overall pick? I think he was like eighth or something, wasn't he? Bon. But e- so just either go way, out and get a Kale McCarr. No big deal. Yeah, but either way, uh, I've heard people talk about this as the best drafts, like equivalent to 2015. And for those who don't remember, let's talk about, like, just quickly, I'll do a rundown of some of the players who were in the first round in 2015. Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel, Dylan Strome, Mitch Marner at four, Noah Hannafin, Pavel Zaka, eh, Ivan Provorov, <laughs> Zach Wierenski, Timo Meyer, Miko Rantanen. Kyle Connor 10. was in that draft. Thomas Shabbat was in that draft. Yes, Kyle <laughs> Connor. At, yeah, after, uh, after Boston had three picks in a row where they nailed none of them. Like yeah, and even Erickson Eck has become like a really good two way two way uh, center. So yeah. Well, even guys who are thought to be huge busts like Lawson Krauss. Lawson Krauss is having a phenomenal year right now. Is he? You know what's yeah. funny? Lawson Krauss went back to he like because I can be a bit of a dick on 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 Twitter. It's very true, and I was being pretty critical of him during a it was like a World Juniors prep thing, and he kept getting blown up by there was this really small. I think it was um who's the name of Adam Fox actually that like just lit him up with a hit and you know obviously a lot smaller and he went back and he favorited all the comments or people saying like Lawson Krauss you just got like you just got knocked out like so I, I kind of love that because that's what Mike Hoffman did with Habs fans this year for those that don't know he actually favorited a bunch of really critical tweets and I, I kind of like seeing the uh I love seeing that when when players don't take themselves too serious yeah okay and going back obviously Noah Jolson that that that's unfortunate but um even into the second round, you're getting guys that were like very, very useful players. Like impact um, NHLers. Rupe, Rupe Hintz went mid second round. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Like, right? Yeah. He's, he's so phenomenal. I don't know if he's if he, what happened last night there because I, I saw that he had might have gotten injured. But uh, yeah, so it has the potential to be a franchise altering 
um, draft for the Habs. And, you know, it's different in this case because, as we've mentioned, you have Adam Nicholas that's involved. So, yep. you know, that's the kind of guy that you want your skills, you know, you want your young players around. And I know Yura Slavkovsky has loved being around Adam Nicholas. And I think we might have to talk about Yura Slavkovsky a little bit too. Yeah, right? I, I think that is a good like segue into the world juniors because I know like Shane Wright had a fantastic night tonight, right? And mm-hmm. anytime oh, Shane Wright goal. Yeah, it was Woo! beautiful. It was vintage. Doug Gilmore used to score a lot of those because he had a the, the deal but back in my day. So we wore an onion on our belt because it was the style at the time. And uh, we'd say give me five B's for a nickel. But Doug Gilmore used to have a straight blade and that's how he scored backhand goals that these kids can score backhand goals with a like Newton's they're breaking all sorts of laws of physics right yeah, now. That it was doesn't make much sense, but no, yeah, to me, no. it was vintage Sidney Crosby. Right. And I said that on Twitter and I was like, you know, not many guys could uh, nail like, are you saying he's better than Crosby? <laughs> no, 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 I was saying like not many guys could label a backhand no, no, but for sure you the got top corner that like, that. like that. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, well, exactly your Slavkovsky could never do that and i was like listen guys let's not compare playing in junior which is what the mm-hmm. world juniors is i know it's the top end of junior but it's still junior hockey to playing in the nhl shane wright struggled yeah. in the nhl big time brant clark was not great in the nhl the best defenseman in this tournament david yurichek who shout out alan walsh client he still uh, hasn't <laughs> played in the no no he hasn't played in the nhl yet he's AHL, he's been great in the AHL, but in this tournament, he was phenomenal. Best he was defenseman the actually, by and it's far. funny because right before the Habs drafted, we were just having a little meeting at the Bells, and I was saying, like, they really, if it, I know they're not going to do it, but right now, I'd be looking at two guys, and they're both defensemen. It was Simon Nemich and Juracek. So, yeah, will be interesting. But, but to get back to it, Slavkovsky was never going to be that high-end detailed guy right at 18, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. So, today, what I, what I really liked. Obviously, there was the promotion, and, and Martin Saint-Louis discussed a lot of things that Slavkovsky has to improve upon, but he was saying this experience that he's gaining, even though it's difficult games, is invaluable. And I do agree in that sense that, um, you know, it, it's the peaks and valleys of every prospect's development. And tonight, what I really liked was after that pass that Slavkovsky made, which led to the first shorthanded goal against the Canadians this season, he was right back out there on the ice and making good plays. So I thought that was a really nice way of Martin Saint-Louis to be like, hey, listen, everyone saw that. Put it out of your mind. Get right out there. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like when you get into a car crash, you have to get right back on the road well, if you can, because if you wait for a while, it'll start to build up in there. So I really like that vote of confidence from Martin Saint-Louis towards uh, Uri Slavkovsky because it was a, it was a big mistake. It was. It was. And, you know, I, will th- I know we're going to segue into the World Juniors, but... I wanted to say, like, Arbor Jackai has continually improved lately, I think, and has been... Do you see his game score? He's, again, one of the best. Like, he's become the better, the best rookie now that Gouli's not in the lineup. Yeah, he's stepped up big time. He is... It's amazing. I think this is now his sixth straight game without a minor penalty. However, he should have tripped Kreider on the breakaway. If you're gonna... If a guy's gonna get a breakaway on you and you have them within reach, just take the penalty. Every time. Every time. I don't know how you feel about it, but to me... I, I would take a penalty against it's a, like it's a twenty percent power play. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a better call statistically to take the penalty in that yeah. case, um, especially but, when you're on the power play, right? So you're cutting into that two minutes with four on four time. But I think the risk here is that it's Chris Kreider, so it's it's kind of like the juggernaut. You don't want to point him towards your goalie no matter what. You're afraid. You, I was so impressed. <laughs> he had him Kreider's. at the offensive blue line. He could have tripped him. Though. Yeah, he's just like, oh geez, like I don't want to. You know, he's already gonna smash my goalie. So it, it was nice to see uh, Chris Kreider uh, and and Yahoo Alak in a game that uh, didn't involve getting anyone run. But um, I think Arbor Jack, I 
continues to impress not only for his defensive play. I think tonight he got, actually got out of position a few times, which has been rare for him. He's been pretty good in that respect. Like he hasn't been emulating it by going out of position, but his breakout passes have been fantastic. Like he's he's got much better vision than I anticipated. And um, as you said, if he cuts out those penalties, you know, those those those, those game score, like the, the cards that people put on Twitter and they say, here's all I need for analysis, which completely like, throws out all the context. Yep. Those numbers will start to look a lot better because they obviously and rightfully weigh penalties against as, a, you know, a huge ding. So if he can get keep that under control, man, I was calling him the, the Lyle Odeline, but that might be underestimating. <laughs> Hey man, okay, no, we will. There's there will be no Lyle Odeline <laughs> disparagement here. But honestly, I, I like, I'm almost thinking of a Barrett Jackman in his rookie year type of thing. Hopefully, he keeps up the speed, keeps up, and it's, he's already a little bit offensively better. But man, it's been really fun to watch, especially because he breaks all the preconceived notions that I've had in terms of big tough defensemen. Usually, they're bad. Let's be perfectly honest. Usually, they're For bad. Sure. Statistically speaking, very bad. So. That's been just the most amazing story. And I guess we have to thank Marc Bergevin, right? Yeah, I'm, frankly, no, there's no choice about a, a lot of the players that we enjoy coming up through the ranks right now are holders from the previous Kofiel, regime. Suzuki. Yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, Joshua Roy, speaking of, of one, Joshua Roy, yeah. who set up the gold uh, gold medal winning goal tonight. That's and another, uh, yeah. frankly, Joshua Waugh, who oh, when he made tournament. this team... I, I kind of expected him to be a bit more of a depth forward because Canada seemed to have a bit of a stacked team. I know he played and a they, huge they role. And they on like the third line, I believe. Yeah. yeah. He had a huge role in the summer tournament, but mm-hmm. like, again, in that tournament, he worked his way up the lineup. Same thing here. He ended up on the top line with Connor Bedard. I believe he finished second or third on third in scoring Canada behind scoring. Stankoven. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and Stankoven is a. Friggin' phenomenal prospect. Oh, man. I actually really want, and I know this is hindsight, I wanted the Habs to, that's who I thought they were going to grab with their I mean, first he also pick. wanted the Habs to draft. <laughs> yeah, and then and then they could have had an all-Habs line there with Roy, Sankoven, and Connor Bedal. Imagine that. Imagine that. I mean, it would be but great. No, he, he, he was fantastic, I think, too, Stankoven. I feel like Roy's almost been bored with the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League this year, and yep. when I watch him, it's either he's just dominant or comme ça, il tente pas. Like, he's... And, Maybe it's a little critical. Maybe I'm expecting too much from a fifth round pick, but what I saw from Joshua Roy in that tournament makes me think that the transition to the NHL might be a little easier than I anticipated because he will quickly become affable to all his coaches. Like if you couldn't put a guy in every single situation shorthanded, yep. power play five on five, and he's dominant, that's you become like a better version of. Jake Evans is a bad comparison because their style, but in terms of how quickly coaches trust them. So that'll go a long way for Joshua Roy, who I'll be honest, Andrew, he did not look good at development camp. He did not look good at training camp. I thought this guy would be almost guaranteed to sign a contract with the Rocket, like a one-year deal, kind of like Raphael Hervé Pinard, but he didn't deserve it. So it's really fun to see him kick it up a gear, you know, when it matters most. And I'd like to see him continue that because Sherbrooke has a legitimate chance to win the Memorial Cup. So it'd be good to see, hopefully he keeps that up you know, when he comes back. And then, you know, that changes everything uh, for for the upcoming... I'm not sure if he gets into the Canadiens lineup next year, but, you know, you put him in an important role in Laval and, and see what he can do because this kind of tournament was just, you know, playing with Connor Bedard, I know you're going to say it's easy, and, and it probably is, 
but he didn't play the power play with Connor Bedard, and he was setting up, he was doing a lot of the hard work on these goals, a lot of the stuff that goes unrecognized, neutral zone play where, um, you know, he's shutting down plays and he's restarting them immediately, almost like Thomas Tatar. So I really loved what I saw from Joshua Hua. Um, you know, top three tournament scoring without power play time beside Bedal. that's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, 10 even strength points at the end of the day, including they the were, primary all assist. Of them, right? uh, no, he had one power play assist. Uh, I guess, oh. oh no, he had a shorthanded goal as well. So nine, oh, yeah. <laughs> nine even strength right. points. But the fact is he still all set up the, like the primary assist on the gold medal winning goal. He was involved in basically every uh, high end, like high leverage play in the last three games I found. Like, yeah, he was just absolutely incredible. His game rose with the stakes. I, I'm i with you that I did not think that Joshua Wah was this far in his development path. And maybe it is a case of he's a little bit bored in the QMJHL. I remember watching during the lockout in like 2012, 13, uh, Jonathan Huberdeau playing. Yeah. Uh, I went up to see a game in Blaineville and he was bored, bored out of his damn mind. He ended up mm -hmm. with like three points in the game and he didn't play well at all. And he hardly like, woke up. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, he made the Have NHL and he won Rookie of the Year. There you go. Have you watched Herbrook this year? Because like you have no. uh, Dylan Gotzi and then um, um, Nathan Gill, I believe. Sorry if I missed those names up, but it's almost a constant blowout. However, when I saw him, I believe it was against Quebec is essentially their biggest like rival right now in the queue. And they played so well against them. And Roy, I believe, had four points and his team had four goals. So you're seeing him excel when it matters most. And I know people will be critical about that, but I have no issue with, with Roy not being you know, obsessed with going at 110% on an afternoon game against uh, Akadzi Bathurst there. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like it's not, I know people, because there's a work ethic issue with Hua, but now it's not to the point that he does, he has bad work ethic, is that he's kind of controlling where he's putting his effort and, hey man, every single junior player does it. So yeah. it, it, this tournament to me was just a nice confirmation that he's improved on. His skating looked like decent. It's never yep. been a strong point, but the ability to be put, he, he's a, a Swiss army knife, essentially. 100%. So, you know, someone mentioned him in, 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 on Twitter, Canadian Lekkonen. And I was like, oof, I don't want to put it at that far because he doesn't have the same vision and, and probably worth skating. But yeah, that's not out of the question because defensively, he's actually pretty darn good. Yeah. And the, the fact is, like, I remember talking to uh, Mitch Brown and David St. Louis last year about, like, the things that he needed to do to, mm -hmm. in, to translate his scoring from the NHL or from the uh, QMJHL to the NHL. Because like, they were worried ask. that it wouldn't, his skills wouldn't translate at all. Right. That, that was my biggest issue. Yeah. Players like him, whose scoring is easy for in junior, think of Jonathan Dre, right? Mm -hmm. Jonathan Dre in junior could shoot from the blue line and score on 16, 17-year-old goalies like it was nothing because yeah. he was just way more skilled than everyone else, and he never really developed those pro habits. I saw pro habits in this tournament going to mm -hmm. the tough areas, sacrificing the body to set up his teammates excellent for checking his penalty kill play like when he exactly. killed that whole minute I, I, so yeah. that kind of stuff to me and i we always overrate the world juniors on prospects right but we're not just talking about point production we're talking about the actual skills that he showed that's game by what game. i look at yeah and i'm just very impressed with joshua Wah, and i would not be surprised if he pushes his way onto an nhl roster next season i think maybe even better. an audition this year mm -hmm. mm, maybe but I, I oh, think it would be better if yeah. he went to Laval instead, just a better yeah. environment, I think, to grow with. Mm -hmm. But he's not the long-term project, I don't think, that I thought he was six weeks ago. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think one of the most poignant parts was when they asked Connor Bedal, like, who, who would you, because he was getting all the praise, you know, he's like, who would you praise? And he's like, Joshua Huat, right away. Connor, like, the best draft pick or, or will be the best, uh, you know, prospect in the world was like, no, this guy is like, I've been following his lead. Now, obviously, Bedal is a pretty good communicator and all that, but uh, I thought that was really, really impressive on his part. And, and I mean, you know, you look at a guy like him, Joshua Huat, fifth round pick, you're playing with house money regardless, right? So one thing I would keep an eye out though is Riley Kidney, rough for him, but he's getting traded tomorrow from what I hear, like almost guaranteed. Okay. Um, and he might be joining Joshua Roy. So that, in, 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 with the Phoenix, yeah, with Sherbrooke's or, or um, yeah, the Phoenix of Sherbrooke. So that would be pretty, and no guarantees right now, but I heard Sherbrooke was was kind of in the mix there. So if Riley Kidney could line up with uh, Joshua Hua, you know, make a Memorial Cup run, that would be pretty fun to watch. That would be incredibly fun to watch. I mean, that's the thing about, like, even in this tournament, I think every prospect that the Canadians had in this tournament they played at or above expectations. I think, like, the point production wasn't there for Lane Hudson compared to what we expected. Or Kapanen, but their game scores were, were fantastic. Exactly, right? And, like, Philip Misar, like, his point production isn't gaudy, but he was on the top end of his team, and I believe he led his team in game score as well. He was top, I think he was seventh overall in the tournament in game score in the prelims. So, And just from the games that yeah. I watched, his playmaking was astonishingly good in that mm-hmm. tournament. And one thing I'd like to see him do a little bit more of um, in Kitchener is that physical play because he didn't shy away from it and i don't want to be that old boomer like you know he's got to get stronger but it's not that it's that he was creating offense out of it so um you know he's a plucky little guy and if he gets in there obviously you don't want him to get injured or take too many hits but if he can keep that intensity with that physical play back to the ohl the the rangers loaded up believe it or not because i thought i was i heard he was out of kitchener yeah i heard he was pretty much gonna get traded i heard the canadians were like hey do you want to you want to trade this guy by any chance, you know? So, but they brought in uh, Zilkin and uh, Arcuri, you know, was leading the OHL in scoring. So, uh, Meshal uh, and the Rangers are also going to make a little run there. And, and I think just based off what we saw, he started scoring. He's, he had four goals in his last three games for Kitchener, if I remember correctly, before. Played really well there. I honestly, I think it's ridiculous that he wasn't one of the players of the tournament for them. But, um, if he can continue that momentum, I mean, it's going to be so, so positive for Meshal. And then, Adam Engstrom played really well, like like very, very well. Um, I'd also suggest that Vincent's, Vincent's Rohr for uh, Austria, that's a tough situation to be in. You know, he you know hurt, you're going to get right? Agdal. Yeah. And, I mean, there's who's their other player? Um, Marco um, Kasp? Um, anyways, they're missing a really good player. So he was essentially their only, you know, quality player. And... It, 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 it's always difficult facing Canada, but from what I got told, he was a fantastic leader and uh, he did really good there. He's putting a ton of shots on net. So good tournament for him. Lane Hudson, if you look at it, yeah, the points weren't there, but I, I, I was watching his game play by play and he was making so many intelligent plays. Like he was, there's so many good things and his game score, again, was one of the highest of the tournament. So all in all, the Montreal Canadiens, their game scores combined, which is a metric that just kind of evaluates just a bunch of stuff. Uh, they had the strongest prospect pool at the World Juniors, and that's Saint Yurai Safkowski, you know, and 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 that's without counting Connor Bedard. So, so you know, all <laughs> it's in already, all, we're, we're counting him as a Canadian's prospect. Oh yeah, yeah, I absolutely. Mean, but all and, in, all in all, I think it was one of their best tournaments from the organizational standpoint for the Habs. And we talked about you know 
uh, Joshua Wah being the guy who was there in big moments for Team Canada. Mm-hmm. Lane Hudson is who set up the bronze medal winning goal for the USA in a game, which is probably one of the wildest games in the history of the World Juniors. That like, how many leads did the USA blow in that game? I, I'm not gonna lie, I missed most of it for a sweet afternoon nap. But uh, I missed most yeah, of it I trying to it take up. care of the the kids. It happened to be around like daycare pickup time, but. Just a wild, like that, eh? wild I'm game. like, oh, I missed it because of a sweet nap. You're like, oh, I was in traffic picking up my kids. <laughs> <laughs> the duality of man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, Lane Hudson, I think uh, what this really did is it reassured me. I haven't been able to catch, catch a ton of Boston games this year, maybe five or six. And I, I'm not always convinced that he's making the right decisions. Sometimes he's just purely coasting on talent, which is, you know, understandable i thought his decision making was top notch during this tournament yeah yeah he, those he's, are the things you want to look at right he's Points, just an incredibly so much, smart but... player yeah absolutely and there's someone who, who am i forgetting out of oh, oh oliver kapanen okay yes finland it was a little disappointing they should have done better let's be honest they, they were probably the better team against uh you know sweden but that being said Okay, he had two goals, one assist, not, not a ton of production, and they probably would have wanted more from their captain. But if you look at his scoring rate right now in the in, in Liga, he's leading all under 20 players in scoring. And um, Thibaut Chatel, who's a guy on uh, Twitter who does a bunch of stuff with European leagues, he shows that uh, Kapanen, statistically speaking, has been one of the best players in Liga this year. So, you know, all in all, and, and I don't even know if you rate Kapanen top 10 Habs prospect. You know, like he, he's part of that old crew and the new crew this year really took up a lot of those spots. So yeah, it's did. fun to see the guys at like the eight, nine, 10, 12 spots doing good. Like I, I, I think this was just a fantastic tournament for all involved. Let's not talk about your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor guy, Do you I think guess. honestly, Slovakia, everyone is telling me Slovakia wins with Slovakia. And I'm like, against Canada. Maybe. Yeah, maybe they just need, but maybe not. Goal. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Bedard turns it up another notch, right? It, who 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 could know? It's it's all ifs and buts, right? But they probably get to yeah. They probably get a better chance. That's for sure. I mean, Slavkovsky in this but, tournament, I would assume, would be a man amongst boys, right? Like, just his but, but also, it's it's no guarantee, right? That was the other no. risk. It's no guarantee that you're going to go dominate. Um, no, so, I mean, like, I, and even if you were to go dominate, there's no guarantee that it actually helps your NHL game, right? Because it's it's going back to a level of hockey that you're supposed to be past, right? But yeah. uh, one last thing about Joshua Wall, which uh, someone brought up on Twitter. We're gonna today. have to get to some uh, fan questions here. Oh yes, we'll that. do the, wrap the it up with some fan quick. questions. Okay. Yeah, for sure. But one last thing about Joshua Wall is as great as he's been in this tournament and in the last tournament. A month, if he was born a month later in the calendar year, gonna, he would have been yeah, draft eligible draft. last year, right? Yeah. Instead of two yeah. years ago. Yeah. So, I don't think that's a huge difference. Eleven month round, <laughs> not a chance in hell. Like he would have right? been draft eligible after leading the queue in scoring. But the crazy part is that even if even if that was the case, he had I, I, like fourteen years old. They said, "Oh, he's lazy." And guess what? I was pretty lazy at fourteen too. I mean, I'm still lazy at whatever age I am now. But it's um, what I really liked is that he put the onus on himself. He admitted he's like, "Yeah, I was man," because I was better than everyone. Like, yep. But then I got to a team. Sherbrooke, um, that really wanted to help me improve upon those things. And when I spoke to their, their co- Stefan Julien, I believe, he was saying, listen, we don't get credit for this. It's Josh that came to us and said, I want to get better. Help me. So I think there's a lot of maturity there for, for you know, a 17-year-old kid to be like, hey, 
I got my career is in doubt right now. So that is very, you know, very encouraging. Yeah, it is 100%. Huge hats off to Joshua Wall. And hey, Owen Beck, we didn't talk about him because he didn't get very many shifts, but every shift he had for Team Canada after coming in in relief Fantastic. was an absolute banger. And uh, he should take a page out of, I think it was Zach Dean's book. I don't know if you saw the post on Zach Dean's Instagram where he posted no. the highlight of his uh, his setup for Fantilli. And he said, oh, what a pass by me. <laughs> so what? he's like, what a pass by me. Like he posted his own highlight and was like, oh, okay, okay. I thought you meant about like tonight there. I was like, <laughs> no, okay. no, no. You know what? No, for the last I, like I love oh, it. Yeah. I love it. I love the yeah. personality and Owen Beck, Joshua Wah, Lena Hudson, Every Canadian's prospect, give yourself a pat on the back for this yeah, one. That it was, was a just tournament. a fantastic World Junior. Yeah, and and I'm gonna say this before we get, man, wasn't it nice to see the World Juniors back in a junior rink? Yes. I'm like, man, so much Andrew. Better. Okay, did you go to some of the games in Montreal? No. Flat. It was boring. Was it was the worst. The atmosphere sucked. The only good NHL tr- um, rink World Juniors has been Ottawa had a like one of the best ever in terms of attendance, and they kind of ruined it because everyone's like, oh. Let's just do what Ottawa did. But Ottawa also tied in. If you wanted gold medal tickets, you have to buy round robin tickets, right? So it was well, you know, it was unlike Montreal. And Buffalo had a really good World Juniors. But since then, it's been such a disappointment in these big empty rinks. I'm glad they're sticking with places like Halifax. And I I just want it to be Kelowna, Red Deer, you know, Shkutsimi, like that type of, you know, like London, Kingston. Like this idea of trying to capitalize on the World Juniors. I understand we're at end game capitalism, but I actually think you you have a probably a better margin for for um, profit by going the junior route because your overhead isn't as high, and uh, you know it's a big event in these towns. Whereas, you know, in Edmonton is like, eh, you know, it's, it's a world class city. So kudos to uh, well, I'm not going to give them kudos, but it was a good move by Hockey Canada to rectify their mistake. Let's put it, it that way. It 100 percent was, and good move by the IHF as well. Um, yeah. Edmonton's gonna be so happy that you called them world class city, but uh, <laughs> let's well, get to I, the questions. Hey man, the mall—it's a big mall. I still remember getting lost. <laughs> it there. used to okay. have dolphins, right? Oh yeah, did, did they? Because I know at one point the the Oilers practiced there. But anyways, okay. There's one here from John G, who is Madi at nineteen. He says, "Anybody think some heads should start to roll for this?" pathetic excuse of a power play losing is one thing boring loss is not acceptable what do you think uh i i don't think heads roll is the right expression i think everybody assumes that alex burroughs is the guy running the power play marty st louis is involved in the power play like very much so they work together on it it's not working marty st louis used to consult on the columbus blue jackets power play when john tortorella was there Guess he used to consult play? on the rangers power play when he was a player <laughs> yeah like he like but when he was consulting for the blue jackets they had the worst power play in the league so i don't think marty st louis has figured out how to run a power play yet that's like either he needs to have somebody else brought in to do that mm-hmm. for him or he needs to admit that it's not his thing or he needs to learn something and there's not a lot of time for learning on the fly for an nhl coach so it'll be something that he None. has to work on in the summer but think think of his schedule from day to day you know you wake up obviously you go over if it's a game day so you have your morning practice um then in the middle you do all the video and then you meet with all your players quick nap you eat there's a game you get on a plane you're reviewing the video from the last game like that's from seven to, to two in the morning you Non-stop. forgot media no... before and after the game too. Yeah. Oh God, man. Talking to people like me, like that's, you know, hopefully it gets paid well, but yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's, it's definitely a learning process and there hasn't, and, and this goes well beyond Martin Saint-Louis. This goes since Markov has left. Right. So yeah. you could argue it's a personnel issue as well. Seeing guys like Lane Hudson, Adam Engstrom, um, 
walk the blue line, that's exciting for the future. But uh, I, I just don't see the value of firing a guy like Alex Burroughs right now. Because I'll tell you why, Andrew, they love him. They absolutely love this guy. And I know there's that old French saying, si bon dans la if he's good in the room, leave him in the room. But um, there is value to having a guy like Burroughs where players can go talk to him and be like, hey, man, like I'm not doing good. What's up? Whereas St. Louis, I think, is a little colder on that. And he has to be, right? He's the head coach. So, yeah. I don't see the value of doing it now, but I think you do reevaluate at the end of the season, right? Yeah, you do. And you might, he might move into a different role, right? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a tough situation because the power play is terrible. And like we talked about tonight, you know, the game was pretty boring. Seeing Chris Weidman back on the first wave power play, I'm like, listen, I know that it wasn't working before, but no, stop that. He can't do it. He's too slow in terms of foot speed and too slow in terms of decision shoot. making. Yeah, like every time Chris like Weidman has the puck, out there. Yeah. he waits. He tries to wait for the perfect opportunity, and then it's gone. And all he can do is shoot into a shin pad. It drives me nuts. So, so uh, there is yeah. a personnel issue there too. Because let's be honest, they've tried five forwards, which usually we'd be celebrating. Unfortunately, it's not amazing it five working. forwards. So, yeah. Um, but it's hey, listen, the Montreal Canadiens have had the worst power play not just this year in the last five years. So I think. Yep. I spoke about it earlier this season. People said, no, that's good. I, you don't have to have the worst power play in the league to draft first overall. There are some things like the power play, and Nick Suzuki admitted it's getting really frustrating, yeah. um, that you can improve without destroying your draft odds. And you don't have to go to like 30%, right? Like you don't have to have... No, 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 like over killer. 13%. Yeah, you just have to not be in a situation where getting a power play is a negative. <laughs> that's that's, well, that's exactly it. What's supposed to create momentum sucks all the life out and exactly. uh you know the so yeah yeah absolutely no i but i but i think you reevaluate but you don't you don't talk about firing this is no. part of the process we knew the canes were going to be bad so you kind of hope that they learn from it but by yeah, next year I, if it starts at, i was just saying i don't think you fire and like an assistant coach mid-season during a rebuild it's just it, no but it even at the end of the panic, year right exactly but i think maybe next year when things are starting to get a little more serious and if it's that bad then yeah you uh you re- you reevaluate do you have the questions in front of you, or do you want no, me to throw another didn't. one? I don't know if you sent them to me or not, but no, I also I didn't. I I didn't see them. Um, <laughs> we have um, hyper influx, which is at Morostuita. Asks what will the Habs do with Hoffman, Danov, Drouin, and Armia, considering their stats? Because we've talked about trading them, but in my opinion, Jonathan Drouin has negative trade value right now. Yoel Armia has negative trade value right now. Evgeny Danov has negative trade value right now. Um, and Hoffman will get a return, but, um, out of those four, obviously the is on an expiring, right? Yeah. I don't, the thing is they're in a position where they don't necessarily need to get anything for those guys. Mm-hmm. I think Hoffman stays this year. I think because he's been a good team guy, they seem to like him. He's rebounded a little bit. I think yeah. they wait until next year so that they don't have to take a hit on the return. And it's just an that's what's been holding contract. up the Habs this year is that they don't want to retain. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think they could retain for like a two year situation like Armia or, or uh, even Edmondson or Hoffman. I don't think that would hurt mm-hmm. them at all, but no. it's better to not have to, because you can look at the cap flexibility that they use this year to get uh, Sean Monaghan, right? They got a first round pick for that. And Sean Monaghan, who's great. And they'll probably trade Sean Monahan for another first round pick either in twenty twenty. There's no other centers. Like apparently Horvat's gonna maybe stay in, in 
Vancouver, so I, I'm very interested to see how they make that cap work. <laughs> Monahan might, yeah, but Monahan might end up being the best center available, um, even though he hasn't played. So yeah, that'll, back that'll, practice, that'll be though. very interesting. Back in practice, they got time before the deadline. They just got to keep yeah, exactly. Healthy, that's all. And he's a but, center that can play both ends of the ring. Like remember Thomas Plakanitz at the end of his career got a second round pick there. You yep. know, so yeah, yeah. So, I think yeah, he'll, the, uh, yeah. yeah. Centers are always valuable. Uh, Armia. I feel like even without, like, they're going to have to buy retain out. to move him at no, all. just buy out. Buy I don't out. think that they have to. Because if he can okay, get... Okay, you're, you're, be, you're being hopeful, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even being hopeful. I'm being, look at NHL GMs, right? Armia... He wins a lot uh, of board battles. <laughs> he wins a lot of board... He does win a lot of board battles. He does. He really does. <laughs> he has a giant body. He has skill. It's just slow had, from brain to hands. He performed sort of in the playoffs at one point. Yeah, he definitely performed in the playoffs last time. And yeah. GMs look at a guy like that and they're like, "We could fix him, right?" Yeah, He's the ultimate. We four years, like guy. three years left after this. Eh, that's the. Is it? I thought it was two years left after this. I, oh no, maybe the buyout lasts four years. Is what I'm thinking of. Sorry, I have buyout numbers in my head right now. Uh, I, I know I they save two point. Even two years it? left is a tough sell. That's a lot because the cap is not going up much yeah. next year. I think that's so the biggest So they would have now. to think... retain half. So you make them a buyout. Let's be honest. That gives you a little more flexibility to re-sign Cole Caulfield. And the so what you get is you get about $2 million and then $3 million of relief. Then you get dinged for $1.3, $1.3, if I remember correctly. In a couple of years, by then, the cap is expected to go up by about $10 million in the next four years. So... I don't see any other option than you buy out UL Armia. Like, and it sucks yeah. because I don't think he's been as bad as his numbers look. But I mean, that to me ended up being probably the biggest fumble from Marc Bergevin. Um, you know, again, lack of foresight. He got so excited that this guy was winning board battles. And he was. That um, essentially cost them Arturi Lekkinen, right? Because they had no more space, space to sign them. So, yeah, I, uh, I think you close the chapter on the Joel Armia thing and you just buy him out. You know, let him let him go start another career somewhere because if you keep him toiling on the fourth line, healthy scratch, that's kind of destroy his career as well. So, well, I think he I'd is like a fourth just... liner in in like the best situation for him. I think that he's just Yoel Armia is a fourth liner on a contender. That's what he is. That's his, his best situation where he's not expected yeah. to score a lot, but because he's playing on a fourth line that's actually good against like really low competition, he can mm-hmm. chip in fifteen goals a year. But yeah. the Canadians just they don't have the team structure to support him. It's a lot like Mike Hoffman. He's, he's a luxury player on a team that can't afford luxuries. And I feel like he doesn't really fit the Martin Saint-Louis um, style or concept of just kind of trusting your instincts. He's more of a structural, like, you know, X's yeah, he, and he O's needs kind of structure guy. for sure. Yeah. He needs the structures. So I feel like he's a little bit lost in Martin Saint-Louis, but to me, okay. So you're thinking they might be able to just keep him and then write it out. Cause I'm thinking, well, buyout I don't, sure. I don't think write it out. I think if they were to retain half, they could find a buyer. It's just, they're not going to get a huge return for him. And it's the same kind of thing with like uh, Jonathan Durant and Evgeny Dadanov. I think there'd be a little bit of disappointment in the Dadanov return because e- even if they can move him, they're not going to get a lot. Like, when he was brought over in the summer, people were like, oh, shit, free first round pick, right? Because they're thinking of what he did post-deadline for Vegas last year, right? Where he was angry and he, like, spitefully mm-hmm. won them a bunch of games. He's not that player right now. But if he could just produce a little bit, I think they could get a third round pick, you know, like something like that. Druen, fourth or fifth. But I think Druen, even if they do <laughs> trade him, they don't have to. If they get almost nothing, even future considerations, it, nobody's going to be that upset because it's the last 
uh, last organ last management group's mistake, right? Yeah, he, he's not and under I think pressure to make. Wants a fresh start for him as exactly. well. Exactly. Right? I think the the two big guys that they're probably going to trade this year around the deadline, they're going to bring back significant returns. Are going to continue to be Sean Monahan and Joel Edmondson. Yeah. Joel Edmondson will end up getting, oh, big time. First round pick all the time. Okay. I think we have time, what, for one more? And then we'll wrap it up, Andrew? Is that sure. what we're doing? Okay. So you you have your pick here. Um, want to talk goalies or do you want to talk Martin Saint-Louis developing talent? Let's do, Which one? Well, I think we already touched on Martin Saint-Louis developing talent. So let's do goalies. Okay. So we have one here from, um, <laughs> it's actually, I, I got to find his exact name, but he yesterday he made me laugh because, okay, what is it here? What's his name? Um, Ferris Bueller. So it's, it's a kind of a joke off the Ferris Bueller. I don't know if you know, he's, that's a yep. yellow suit. I'm sure you reckon him from Twitter. And yesterday when, um, Pete Blackburn, he was, you know, getting angry at Canada because we always have that back and forth. And he's like, he said a kilometer bagged milk evening to you, sir, which just <laughs> like, I don't know. A kilometer bagged milk evening was one of the best things uh, I've ever heard. Okay. What route should the team go for the long-term goalie situation? And that's Pretty much a good one because things have gotten a lot worse recently. Obviously, Jake Allen's not here long term. Verbetic having a bit of a rough year with the Trois Rivières. Um, Caden Primo, let's be honest, he's out of runway. Uh, yeah. I think Jakub Dobesh. Jakub Dobesh is doing great for Ohio State. And you have other, um, Dekau, who's being okay. He's the backup for Frolunda. But I don't think you can actually really declare any of them with starter potential just yet. No. So, so what do the Habs do? Uh. Maybe they should sign Milich from Team Canada. <laughs> you know, I looked at his numbers too, and I'm like, because they're good. They were very like Don, not not Don Levi type good, but they were good. Yeah, he's got a nine nineteen for the Thunderbirds this year, nine twelve last year, nine thirteen the year before. You know, it's it's hard to project goaltenders, but is is it because he's not six foot five? Is that the issue? I mean, that could be an area where the Canadians could exploit, right? Like, he's a smaller goaltender, but we've seen smaller goaltenders succeed. Like, look at UC Saros, who completely shut down the Canadians. The oh, other when night. he's six foot. I mean, but I guess for goalies, that's almost like, you know, he's five, David Dernay out there. Yeah. yeah. Six foot for goalies is like the five seven for, for forwards, basically. <laughs> but I, yeah. I would look into free agent signings. They're probably going to take goalies every year for the next couple of drafts, just like later rounds. But flyers, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's just one of those things where I understand people want to have like that one in the chamber who's a for sure, but it seems like the more sound strategy for most clubs now is just to draft a bunch Find of goalies something. in the later rounds, and mm-hmm. one of them turns into something. Spaghetti you know? Western, you, you throw a bunch of shit at the wall and you see what sticks. That's, and that's Gorton a has a long history of finding goalies. And you tend to go into the NCAA and Europe because you're going from two years to four years that you own their rights. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely hate the idea of drafting a goalie before the fourth round. Obviously, there's always some exceptions. But um, to me, I don't even know if I draft them that many. Andrew, I'm feeling like teams now are just signing. Like, you know, the, the Avalanche came into the season with what? With Frankuz and, and, and Kemper as their goalies? Uh, that, Georgiev, so less than Kemper. Uh, Georgiev, yeah. Okay, so there was a bit of a... Uh, okay, so that kind of destroys my whole argument. But ever since the, the Blackhawks won with Niemi, um, I've kind of been convinced that to win, you need good goaltending, but not necessarily great goaltending. And mm-hmm. in the Canadians' past, yeah, they're depending on great goaltending, but that's not sustainable. So I'm not that worried about goalies. There's so many good goalies out there in so few positions for them to prove their worth. Like every organization has essentially six spots for goalies down to the ECHL. So 
it's tough to get a read on them. And, um, you know, I, I don't worry too, too much. And I'd also would like to kind of see his numbers got a little more normal, but Montembeau kind of showed a lot more than I was expecting this season. So goalies peak around 26, 27, 28. I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, what he could do as a starter for, for a whole year. And again, I think it's the 17th time I've traded Jake Allen, but you trade Jake Allen at the deadline, uh, you know, uh, and honestly, it would be cool for him too to, to be playing with a contender. And then you just see what happens with Montembeau. Sign about, like, goalies are the weirdest value on in the NHL trade market. They're the most important player on the team, but they have no value. So, um, yeah, I think you go the, you exploit the um, untapped market reach. I wouldn't even, you know, yeah, sixth, seventh round pick, sure. Like, well, like what they did with Caden Primo. But other than that, you don't worry about it. You can find a pretty good goalie pretty easily, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, look at the Boston Bruins, right? Everyone Jeremy was Swayman. freaking out about them losing to Karask, and they're like, well, we'll just Which, to be fair, I mean, yeah, I get it. Yeah, you know, like, one of the best goalies in their franchise's history, and then uh, Jeremy Swayman obviously is a, a prospect of theirs, but it hasn't been Swayman carrying the bag this year, right? It's been Allmark. Yeah, and well, there Allmark you go. has been incredible, who they just stole from Buffalo, who mm-hmm. had a great season in Buffalo, and the same There's, like, there's know, a bunch of Allmarks you. in the NHL every year, right? It's, yeah. it's basically the way I look at it. Um, it, you know, I think it's I, one of those things where, like, you look at Stanley Cup winners, and I don't think people think you can't win with like a star goaltender, and I don't think that's necessarily true. You can't win with a ten but, million dollar star goaltender. The thing <laughs> is, I think you, I think you could, but it's how you build your team, and if you build your team around the goalie, I think you end up being good but never great. And yeah. nothing says that more to me than Carey Price and Henrik Lundqvist both retiring with no cups. Or Jose Teodob. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. That's where you're going with that. Well, no, Jose Teodob basically did that for the what Price did for the Habs for many, many years as well. But yeah, I um if your goalie wins a Vizina and a Hart trophy in the same year, you are a bad coach. Okay. That's a, like Probably. you're over and if I, I there's only one coach that's ever had that happen to him, and it's happened to him twice. Michel Terrien, comment ça va, mon chum. So yeah, I would honestly I know in Montreal there's a long history of of of, of okay goalies, but I wouldn't worry about it, and I actually don't mind the idea of kind of moving away from, as you said, building around a goalie. Because, yeah, there's logic there, but uh, there's very few success stories. Yeah, 100%. And, I I mean, just in in the personal enjoyment of hockey watching thing, I always find it less stressful to not be super invested in the goalie. Because then I don't care what the the final score is. Whereas, like, being, like, a super big Carey Price fan, if the Canadians would win, like, 6-5, I'm like... Man, just couldn't have like one six three, you know. Right. Keep the save percentage high. No, so I, just for enjoyment level, just have the the free agent or the like uh, the mercenary goalies come in. You can kind mm-hmm. of move through them. That's the way of the future. The money goalie era was pre cap for a reason. It was the Patrick. Well, I guess or the one then then after that. And but you got to get away from it, right? Belfort, yeah, exactly. Cujo. But I mean, man, Allmark is. At 940 this year? That's crazy because... Yeah, he's it's, insane. The, the the scoring is way up. Yeah, but Boston... But then you go down Boston. this list, so Tristan, Jerry, like these are guys like Darcy Kemper that... Oh, Logan Thompson, that was a really good move by them get, grabbing him, but... And he actually might win the Calder, we'll see. But uh, there, about half these guys in the top 20 have moved in the past, and they've moved several times. And when's the last time a goalie got a good return on the trade market? I, I can't remember. It's been the, a while. The, the jersey traded for, what, McKenzie? No, I'm... Um, Back in the day, didn't they trade their first rounder for a goalie? 
I don't know. After Bhandara, but we should probably I'm... wrap it up. We've gone on long enough. Yeah, exactly. Once I'm starting to think of old trades. But anyways, all that to say, thanks for the questions. They were fantastic. But I wouldn't worry about um, the Montreal Canadiens goalie situation. Goalies are not as important as they were back in the day. 100%. All right. We'll be back on Game Over Montreal on Saturday. I'll be with Laura Saba. It will once again not be live. Love Laura. Love Laura. Yes, She's the best. The best. Laura Saba from Locked on Canadians. Make sure you follow them. Hooray! The active stick on Twitter. And this has been Mark Dumont from... Ooh. Montreal hockey now and don't forget to Montreal subscribe show. and 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 like fellow oh youth. yeah that's how you do fellow you see usually i'm the one being reminded by robert this is true <laughs> so subscribe like the video uh hit the bell make sure you enjoy everything and uh, we'll see you on saturday game over powered by sports interaction canada sportsbook